Hi, this is Matt Kempel, co-owner of Milwaukee's premier live comedy spot, The Laughing Tap, and founder of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. I hope everyone is ready for a great show tonight. Make sure you have turned off your electronic devices and keep talking to others in your group to a minimum. With that, I'd like to bring on tonight's headliners, Jim Martin and Chris Beyer. It's season six of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch Podcast. It's Chris Beyer, as always, with Jim Martin. Hello, Jim. Hello, Chris. We typically have kind of lighthearted uh, topics. We typically try and do a little bit of comedy, but every now and then we've been talking about some serious issues here. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. more so in the last year than ever before. Right. Yep. And so we got another one here today. I met a gentleman that's in the field of uh, detox to help people get through their addictions. You know what? I'll make an admission here mm-hmm. that might be weird, and maybe you got the same mm-hmm. admission. I've never smoked pot. I've never done any drugs. I've never done anything other than uh, occasional alcohol. Agree. Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think, I think that's, uh, I think it's very unusual, actually, based on what I've seen. You know, people, people wow, people are, they give me the wide eyes when they right. say, I've never even, I've never even had a, a brownie with marijuana in it or any of that. It's nothing. Not gummy, yeah. nothing, you know? Yeah. And you yeah. know what? Maybe you're right. Or maybe it's just, you know, society convinces you that we're just, you know, these odd ducks have never done anything like that. Could you know, be. It could be either way. It could yeah. be that there's a lot more of us out there than we think. Right. right. Or maybe we really are unique in that sense. I, I really yeah. don't know. I, I want to clarify, <clears throat> though. I'm not calling, making them other people like, how could you do no, that? No, you're not you know, against what, What's it, that no. word? Yeah, I'm not like, oh, my God, how could you? I just, it's not something I chose to do. Yeah. Right. And I'll, yeah. I'll say this. I, I'm for legalization or decriminalization of certainly marijuana if not other drugs yeah um they gotta clean up the smell though for me yeah i mean that's yeah. that's a bad smell for me yeah <laughs> yeah and so i really haven't had that much experience with people that have had issues right uh-huh. yep and without naming names <clears throat> i worked with somebody a few years back that had issues mm-hmm. with uh addictions and all of a sudden, I became very aware of what it's like being around somebody with an addic- you know, with an addiction problem like this. Yeah, it was really a, a, an eye opener. This was a person that seemingly was young and attractive and had a lot going on in their lives, and was just talking about how they were going to die all the time, about how you know something was going to happen to them. They're going to, uh, and they uh, they were going through withdrawals while I was working with them and things like that. And so it mm. was it was wow. really. Uh, an eye-opening thing that I'd never seen up close before. Right. And so I kind of learned a little bit about it. And so today's guest, uh, our guest is Dwayne Berry. Hello, Dwayne. Hi, Dwayne. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Thanks for being here today. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. And Dwayne, like I said, is in the business of getting people through their, their problems regarding uh-huh. addictions, working for detox centers. And so what I thought we'd do in the first half of this interview is talk about what leads to this problem, you know, the, the the root causes of it, and some of the stories that go along with it and how people are struggling, like the person I'm talking about, you know, to get through this thing. And then the second half, talk about what Dwayne and other people like Dwayne do to help people get through these problems. So before we started the interview, Dwayne mentioned that you're in recovery. So let's just start with your story. Okay. Starting with my th- story, once again, thank you for having me on. Uh, I've been sober uh, 37 years. I used to have a drug problem uh, with cocaine, um, and it got to the point where I became homeless uh, for two and a half years. I literally had to eat out the garbage can to survive. 
um, it had got that bad. I got down to about 85 pounds. Wow. Wow. And uh, hadn't had a bath in about eight and a half months. No kidding. Uh, my wow. whole life was all resolving around my drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about drug use is that you don't wake up one morning and say, you know, this is a perfect day to become an addict. Right, right. It happens. Right. It happens from all kind of reasons. Peer pressure. Um people misusing pain medications or whatever the situation was. Mm-hmm. In my situation, it was related to peer pressure right. um, that I started using drugs. But the thing is, is that um, in order for a person to get sober, and I'm using myself an example, I had to get to a point of uh, what we call rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where I had to ask myself a question. If there's not a problem with your drug use, why are you eating out of garbage cans? Is that normal? Yeah. Mm. If, yeah. If, if, if it's not a problem, why are you going eight and a half months or so without a bath? Yeah. Why are you doing all the things you do to get your drug? And so uh, I was fortunate enough back uh, 30-some years ago to uh, run into a person mm-hmm. that was in recovery and gave me some resources. And I followed up on those resources and ended up going to uh, St. Paul, uh, or not St. Paul, but DePaul Hospital, which was on yeah. South 13th at the time. Right. And I was able to get in under county funding, and I've been sober since, never relapsed. Wow, that's fantastic. But, but it, it, it's, you have to have a mindset of, this is something I want to do. You can't do it for someone else. Mm-hmm. If I do it for you and you piss me off or you disappear out of my life, well, there goes my reason right. for yeah. staying sober. So it has to be something that you want to do. And I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. That was the bottom line. Yeah. So. so let's back up. So you know, where I'm going to date you when I say this. When, uh, what age were you when you first developed this? When I first, uh, it was early 30s, like 30... 30 to be exact. And that okay. seems kind of late, isn't it? It's it's late. Uh, late no for, t- let me let me back up. Late for peer pressure. You know, when you said peer pressure, you think of like a teenage situation. Well, my parents were in the bar business. Okay. We had okay. two bars, one on the east side, one on the north side. Mm-hmm. And then bars where we're drinking and doing those things, drugs that show up. Right. Mm-hmm. And so... In those days, you did what the party was doing. If they passed it to you, you tried it. It was a late start in life, but again, it was all related to the lifestyle I was living. I was uh, in my parents' bar. I worked there. I got to meet all kind of people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And again, you do it to uh, get to like somebody or to fit in. Of pe- the fit, bottom sure. line, to fit yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was a pretty late start for me. But again, uh, it doesn't matter where you start, how early or how late. Just for my particular situation, I started at 30 years old. Hmm. You know what? Uh, and I want to, you know, uh, maybe me and Jim talk about what we said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I did feel peer pressure, but for whatever reason, that was, you know, I'm not good at certain things. I'm good at other things. One thing I was always good at is resisting peer pressure. You do get shamed sometimes. This sure. is true. You and I 
probably are at the occasional party and somebody's got some drugs and they offer it to you occasionally, you know. But if you're, you know, like you're saying, if you're in the bar business, if every night you're at the bar and these guys are there and it's like, and it might just be like, you know, you might be saying no for 10, 15, 20 times. One time you might say like, what the hell, right? You know, I'll, I'll give it a try. And, and you know, what, what's it like? And and then all of a sudden it's there again. I'll do it, you know. It, the more prevalent it is, I would imagine, probably the easier it is to, to do was, something like that. Was uh, alcohol a gateway drug in the sense well, it loosened you up? I was to, getting ready to yeah. say exactly that. At the time that I tried it, I was drinking alcohol. And when you're drinking alcohol and you're intoxicated, you don't make clear thoughts. Your Mm -hmm. thoughts are intoxicated thoughts. And so in my time of intoxication and somebody offered me some drugs, yeah, hey, you know, we're having a good time. Let me party and fit in. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the, the alcohol, I believe at that particular time was the lead way into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, because when you're intoxicated, you don't think clearly. Right. You know, your mind is not acting right. That's why we stagger when we're drunk because right. the parts of the brain that tell us to balance go to sleep. And so all of my reasoning is sleeping. And so here comes somebody with something excited. But here's the other part. Mm-hmm. After trying it, it gave me something that I never felt before. Hmm. Yeah. That's that hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. what was that? It was uh, cocaine was the yes. thing. Mm-hmm. And it, I, the closest experience I have to something like this, we talked about how we uh, weren't necessarily drug takers. I had some a surgery on my wrist. Mm. And they put me under. And coming back out, I thought, I am floating on a cloud. I mean, I <laughs> never felt better in my life. I thought, yeah. this is really something. And at that moment, I thought, this is what, hooks people this is what hooks it exactly so you get this new feeling that you've never experienced before some people say it's like sex without having sex okay okay and and you take this drug and what happens after that first time you're chasing now you're chasing that first high that you got right you're trying to get back to that point again and it keeps Uh, leading you on and leading you on right it's and 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 how you become, um, I would say, strung out mm-hmm. is, for an example, when I was coming up, I could only eat one hamburger. As I got older, now it takes two hamburgers to satisfy me. Yeah. Well, yeah. when I started with cocaine, 25 bucks would do it. One day, 25 bucks didn't do it, so my mind says I got to get another 25. Now it took 50 to give me the feeling that the 25 used to give me. Right. Mm-hmm. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Yeah. And so before you know it, like I say, you don't get up and say, I want to be an addict. It happens. Mm-hmm. Well, right. is, this, uh, is this powder or crack cocaine? Uh, at the time, it wasn't crack, but it was called in my day freebasing. Okay. Oh, okay. Freebasing. You would mm-hmm. cook it up and smoke it through a pipe. Right. Okay. And so I tried to convince myself as I began to get more strung out is that mm-hmm. it wasn't the crack or the the free basin of the cocaine that I like. It was the beautiful clouds in the pipe. Yeah. That uh, excited me. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So that's sure. what I wanted to blame it on. I didn't yeah, want yeah. to accept the fact that I was the addict. Money also become a main problem for yes. somebody in your situation, right? Exactly. So where do you get the money? Do you descend into criminality as well at that point? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh for me I got into stealing stuff out of stores. Um I got into uh, going to the blood bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, plasma. Plasma, yeah. hustling aluminum cans. Okay. Or 
becoming a friend of somebody that has money and is an active user, and uh, sure. I get to, act, uh, uh, to use with them because they're able to supply it. So right. um, I've, I've done everything but robbery. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Never robbed anybody, never hurt anybody from my addiction, okay. but I stole stuff. Sure. TVs, whatever. But I started with my own belongings. Okay. I started selling my own belongings. Okay. Because the drug would tell me something like, you know, you're always high. You never watch TV. Why do you need a TV? So, oh. so I sell the TV, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. You never have money for your utility bills, so why don't you let them cut up your utilities off? It's summertime. You can light candles. And so, there you go. So, so, so you're talking yourself into all this exactly. stuff. Exactly. So basically, I started stealing from myself. Exactly. Right. Basically. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you run out of stuff. Then you run out of stuff, and then you you do what you have to do. And right. you get arrested. Well, I've never been arrested. No. Okay. Uh, I never robbed anybody and hurt them. Okay. Um, I actually stole from stores. Yeah. Stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, shoplifting. Uh, shoplifting yeah. basically is what I did. Never, and fortunately, I never got caught. Yeah. yeah. And so you do, you know, you go to blood bank, you find the resources, you find other addicts that are using, and you begin to learn once you get in that circle of addicts when they have money. Yeah. And so you try to befriend those that have the money. You start knowing when everybody's payday is. And so mm-hmm. you sure. make sure you're hanging around them on payday. So there's so many ways that... Uh, we can get drugs. And for women, it's a little bit more difficult with them because uh, they can get used sexually oh, sure. in, in order to get free drugs. And so right. once you get addicted to a substance, it is very difficult, very difficult to let go. Yeah. Um, people say, well, where's your willpower? It has nothing to do with willpower. Yeah. Yeah. It has yeah. nothing to do with willpower. Again, we don't get up and just decide to become an addict. Right, but we can make a conscious decision to try to go get some help. Yeah. Now, of course, like you said, you hit that rock bottom. Some people's rock bottom is they die. Obviously, right? Exactly. Uh, you've had a number of your friends, and like a number of your friends probably died from this. And the friends that you developed were people that were fellow addicts, right? That's right. And so then you got the problem of even if somebody's starting to get clean, well, your friends are either encouraging you to, you know, not be clean. Or you're around it. You're around the environment, and people say, hey, what's it going to hurt? That's right. And example for me, when I got clean and the word got out with my using friends, they didn't respect that. Yeah. They came by and said, look, I got one. This one's free. Yeah. You know, just to get me back back in. But I didn't, fortunately, I didn't go for it. And like you said, people die. Here's an example. My oldest brother died from alcoholism. Hmm. Chunks of his liver actually came out of his mouth. Oh, wow. And the doctors oh, wow. had told him over and over, you must stop drinking. Right. Yeah, yeah. But that didn't scare him when the doctors told him yeah. that if you don't stop drinking, you're going to die. Yeah. And for some, you know, for myself, many times before I actually decided to get help, I said I was going to stop and I really meant it. Mm-hmm. But something came along and took me off track some other using person or whatever, or I ran into some money or whatever the right. situation was. Sure. So often when an addict says, you know, I'm ready to stop, but then they end up going to relapse. And at the moment they say that they're ready, they are ready. Mm-hmm. But that urge, that addiction takes over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the person that I'm speaking of, I remember I was talking to them and 
uh, about like lottery or something like that. And they said, mm. you know, I said, oh, what would you do with an extra fifty thousand dollars? And they mm. said, I'd be dead. I'd be <laughs> yeah, dead. Wow. You know, yeah. Because I would yeah. spend it all on drugs. Right. And so yeah. you got to keep that away from me. That's right. Well, and and nowadays, uh, it's even more dangerous, right? Yes. Because the dealers are lacing this stuff with fentanyl, exactly. right? And and you may try something one time and dead. Is that right? This is true. Because the, you don't know this is laced with fentanyl, and now all of a sudden you OD on fentanyl. Exactly. And you didn't even know it. That's and not even get, what you were trying to do. And you're getting it from a person that you think you trust. Yeah. And that person doesn't know where they where they purchased it yep. from to give it to you, what it's been cut or hit with. Right. Yeah. I've had a cousin who was sold battery assets, you know, around the cable of your battery is right. it gets white. Yeah. Right, right. And some drug dealer chopped it up and sold it to her and her when she smoked it, her veins melted, she died instantly. Oh, wow. So yeah. oh drug God. dealers or it's it's about money, yeah. And whatever they can do to maximize profit, right. they'll do it at any risk, right? And they don't care. Yeah. Of yeah. course, of course. You know, one thing that people would think of is you can't kill your customers because they got to keep coming back. You and, would think, and, yeah. and paying for this stuff. One thing I've heard, and I don't know exactly if this is accurate, mm -hmm. but getting back to that point, that they don't necessarily want to kill their customers. You know, unlike this battery acid story that you just said, is that these chemicals that make fentanyl and some of these drugs, they're coming over from, from China in large part. Mexico. They're landing in Mexico. They land in Mexico. And then they've got these guys in Mexico that are essentially bathtub chemists. They go in their bathtub or their sink, and they concoct these medications. Now, they don't have the same stringent safeguards that they would have. At, Not if they're know. doing it in a bathtub. Yeah, exactly. That's right, yeah. Yeah, right. they don't yeah. have the safeguards that they've got right. in, in the pharmaceutical industry. Right. And so these guys got molds, and they're just winging it, right? That's right. And sometimes, you know, that stuff settles to the bottom. And sometimes certain number of those pills have got twice what they should have in it. And so these guys aren't necessarily trying to kill their customers, yeah. but but they're, they're just, just they're just not very good at what they're doing. They're not good at what they're doing. Right. They don't they have the proper equipment to make drugs like say a, a drug company would. Exactly. And so there's a lot of these drugs out there that then cross the border. People buy them off the internet. They don't know where they're getting it. That's they right. got the one on the bottom of the bathtub or one on the top of the bathtub, and one of them kills them. That's right. And uh, yep. and so um, I, like I said, I do think that for the large part. These dealers, they want customers, right? Sure, that's right. And they don't sure. want to be killing people, Agreed. but they are. Right. Well, well, the other part of that, too, is they don't want to kill customers, but fentanyl is way, way, way more potent than right. heroin. Mm -hmm. And so if I make my package more potent, I got you more hooked and I get more business from right. you. And from, That's and, the mindset of, sorry, of the dealer, that. not necessarily yeah. wanting to kill them. Right. And they can sell them less exactly. for more. Right, exactly. I mean, you know that. So, so you less of the drug yeah, for more so, money. So you, right, so you got more supply essentially exactly. that way. Right, mm -hmm. and and perversely, I've heard this that that when there's a batch going around that's killing people, the users think I want to try that because they think, okay, I'm going to take just enough to not kill myself, but I'm chasing it high, right? And so if this stuff is so strong that it's killing people. It creates this perverse incentive for people to say, "I want to get some of that batch." That's right, yeah. but but nobody knows the just enough, right? You don't sure. know what your just yeah. enough is. You don't, yeah, until, see, it's, until it's too late, and then until, like, oh, that was, until that was too it's much. too late, yeah. and that's exactly what happens. Um, nobody wants to overdose. They are thinking that they're taking just enough, right, yep. to get high and, and and end up ODing. We had a guy that overdosed. 
and there's a, a, a thing called Narcan. I don't know if you right. ever hit mm-hmm. it, okay? Yeah. We hit this guy six times, Ugh. six Narcans. Wow. He wakes up finally and goes off on us and said, why did you mess up my high? Whoa. You were dead. Yeah. <laughs> you were dead. Yeah. And so that's how powerful that addiction wow. is for somebody to come back from the dead yeah. and be angry because he yeah. messed up his high. Right. Wow. I asked, again, I keep referring to this person. I asked this person a question, and I said, do you think any of this repeated drug abuse is suicidal? And they said, no, not at all. Mm. Do you think at some point with people, after they take drugs to a certain point and they're they're getting to that rock bottom or beyond, do you think at some point they think they're resigned? They're just going to they're gonna go out the way they want to go out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, some people, like you said, the addiction is so deep that some people just don't care. You know, they get to a point, well, if I die, I die, but I'm going to die doing what I love to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, some people uh, will attempt to c- commit suicide, not so much because of the drug use, but the behaviors behind the drug use and the things ah, they've done okay. and the people that they've hurt that they can't face anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have some will want to kill themselves because it's the only way they figure they can get rid of the addiction. Yeah. Right. You right. Know, so it just depends on the individual. For myself, I was um, concerned about how I hurt my parents and my family and my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's the thing that really depressed me, what I had did to them. Right, yeah. And so uh, once I came to that conclusion, I wanted to try to make things right in my life. But, no, you know, everybody doesn't get to that point, like you're saying. Right. Some people just don't care. They've given up on life. Something traumatic has happened in their life. Maybe they were raped as a child. or right. uh, It could be a lot of issues. And a lot of times when you find an addict, he has a story. Mm-hmm. behind what led them to using. And most of the time it's some abuse, sexual, mm-hmm. some type of mistreatment, and right. like something traumatic, loss of a loved one or parents, something that really was traumatic in their life. So there's a lot of reasons why people use the drug to try to forget. How about yeah. how about how about yourself? And you said because again I asked this person the question you just mm-hmm. just addressed, I asked them, how often is this that people just you know, like to party. You know, they like to. You know, they they got involved in a way that you did. That it was just kind of a fun thing. I I started to think more like you. Did. Most of it has to do with psychological trauma, and they're trying to medicate themselves. Mm-hmm. What percentage of people out there do you think got it like you did? Which is, hey, it's it's fun. I'm just hanging out with the guys. Uh, is that is that a smaller percentage than the people that are dealing with the trauma? Very small, mm-hmm. small percentage. The majority of people that come in has had some type of trauma in their lives mm-hmm. that has led into that. Whether it's been some serious accident they were in where they are dealing with a lot of pain mm-hmm. or something like that, or again, loss of a family member or something. But uh, you don't find, I have not found, mm-hmm. I should say to come across so many people that says, oh, I was just having a good time and, you know, got hooked and right. you know so it, it, it's usually something that leads them down that road and they find something that makes them feel better right, right. trying to get away from something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i i heard uh i forget what book it was but they're talking about uh 
all the heroin use that was going on in Vietnam from the soldiers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, here they're in a part of the world where heroin was you know, very readily available. Yes, yes. They're in a situation where they might die. They're under all the stress. And there was just tons and tons of soldiers that were using heroin. And so the, there was this thought that when all these soldiers came back from Vietnam, that we're going to have this full-blown heroin epidemic in America because all these people are going to come back and turn into junkies. And they said the vast majority of those people gave up heroin once they got back to the United States. And the theory was this, that they were doing to cope with their environment of stress and they were going to die. And once they got back to America, then that removed that situation and they felt less need exactly. to, to, to abuse at that point. Exactly. Very true. Yeah. Very true. And so the analogy in your case is, let's say somebody you know, was sexually abused mm-hmm. at a certain age, used it to... You know, deal with their their anxieties or deal with their their pains. If somehow they had their mind uh, cleared of that issue, then maybe they could go on to lead a normal life. Now, of course, you know, escaping war and and clearing your mind after abuse those are two different things. But that might be an equivalent, you know, circumstance. This is true. This is true. And there's a lot of people out here that has um, mental health issues that have not been really diagnosed. Uh, they have the issue and don't know what it is, but they know that I have something I can get to deal with it. Okay. And, and then they'll go to the drug, of course. Sure. And so um, there's so many things uh, that leads a person uh, to use. Uh, the majority, again, is something traumatic happened in their lives. I just got with my friends and it was peer pressure or I had surgery and these opiates really helped and now I've got all of this pain and it relieves me. Uh, so it's so many roads, if you would, to addiction. Mm-hmm. So many roads. Yeah. yeah. And right. of course, in the second half, which is going to be coming up here soon, we're going to talk about the road out. You know, we've okay. been talking about the road in here uh, for this first half and we're going to talk about the road out because you deal with this industry, and I, I've worked with some people and uh, that are in your industry. And let me just add this as a lead-in to the next half. Does it give you, do you need that street cred of having gone through it to, uh, to help somebody deal with it? Can somebody like me and Jim, who's never had a drug issue, would we have any credibility with people that have got a drug issue? I know in in the industry, uh, they used to say, "Well, if you haven't been an addict or something, how are you going to tell me what what I mean? What is right. it that you can tell me?" Exactly. And this is what I say: the person that's not an addict has a lot to tell you because they went through the same world that you went through. They went through trials and tribulations in their life, just like you do, but they didn't use. Mm-hmm. So they have a message for you: How did they make it through without using? And yeah. so, yes, you would be very credible because you went through the same world, right. deal with a lot of stressors and whatever in life, but you chose not to use. And so I don't believe that a person has to be uh, a recovering person to help a person that's addicted. No, well, actually, yeah. I mean, I'll say this, that I kind of believed that you had to be. Me too. I yeah, because otherwise, that. like, how can, you, how can you relate to what I'm going through? Right. If you've never been through it. But, but what you just said saying. makes a yeah. lot of sense, which mm-hmm. is we're, we're not right. aliens. You know, right. We went through the same circumstances, made choices, even though we didn't use we, those choices that we made might have some impact on their future success. Right. Well, let's leave it at that for now. Uh, and we will come back uh, next week for people listening and in just a minute uh, for Dwayne here in the second half. 
Join us next time on the Bait and Switch Podcast for the second half of our interview with our friend, Dwayne Berry. You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch Podcast. Spread the word.